welcome back to the EDM podcast. I'm your host, Sam Matler, and this is a show where I interview producers, artists, and industry experts. Now, have you ever wanted to build a career in the music industry outside of being a DJ or producer? Maybe you want to help out at music festivals or manage artists, or maybe event management excites you. If this is the case, then you need to listen to this episode. It's with Jameson Shalnut. He's an events management expert and has been tour manager for artists like Rez, uh, Drezzo, and is currently tour manager for Destructo and also San Holo's touring VJ. So he's doing a lot. He's done a lot. And if you want to learn how to network with other artists, industry experts at events, uh, if you want to learn why adding value is the best networking strategy and how to forge your own career in the music industry, then listen on Now, before I get into the show, I need to mention a tool that I've been using for quite a while now, uh, well over a year, Splice. Splice is a platform and community for music producers that's revolutionizing the way music is produced. And they have a few different tools. They have Splice Studio, which allows you to collaborate online with friends and also share project files with your fans. Uh, They host remix contests on their community page, well worth checking out. They offer plugins on a rent-to-own program, so you don't need to pay a huge amount up front for a synth like Serum. Uh, You can just pay $10 or $9 a month until it's paid off, and you don't have to pay anything more. It's a great way to afford these more expensive uh, pieces of software. And finally, they have Splice Sounds, which is my favorite. So Splice Sounds allows you to pay a small fee every month, about $8, for a bunch of credits, which you can use to download the samples you want to download. I use this a ton. In fact, 90%, I would say, of the samples I use in my productions are from Splice Sounds. You know why? Because I hand-picked them. It's really easy to filter through their library and find the sounds that you need, uh, whether it's a vocal sample or a serum preset. It takes only a few seconds to find something that might inspire a full song. Now, as an EDM product listener, you can sign up to Splice Sounds and get your first month free. Just head to splice.com forward slash edmprod dash music and enter the promo code edmprod when you sign up. Again, that is splice.com forward slash edmprod dash music. That's the dash symbol, not the word. Promo code edmprod. You can find this uh, website address and promo code in the show notes as well in case you forget it. Without further ado, here's Jameson. Enjoy the interview. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Jameson Shalnut. Uh, how's it going, man? Man, I'm doing great. Doing great out here in Florida. Uh, having a good time. How about you? I'm good. Certainly not as warm as Florida, I imagine, but uh, <laughs> things are good, man. Now, kind of funny story as to how you've come on the show. Uh, we posted on EDM Prod on the blog a track analysis of San Holo's song, One Thing. I shared it to a bunch of groups and you commented on it, you know, saying you liked it and it was awesome and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you know, cool. There's just someone who's liked the post, probably a producer or something. <laughs> and then I went back because you replied to my comment and I was like, I'll click on his profile because you said something about his album is going to be awesome. I was like, well, how does he know that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I clicked through to your profile and turns out you're the touring festival VJ for San Holo. 
plus a bunch of other things. So I had to get you on the show. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, your background is interesting. Your former tour manager and VJ for artists like Rez, uh, Dresso, Dexter. You've done work for a ton of event companies, including HTG and Insomniac. Right now, like I said, touring festival VJ for Sun Hollow, uh, tour manager and VJ for Destructo. And you're also a partner in a music tech company with Dirty Bird. Is there anything I missed? Well, uh, that's pretty much sums it up. But uh, yeah, I do a lot of other stuff too, but those are the main ones. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. So my first question is, how do you manage all of these different things? Like I can only do one or two things max, but you seem to just have your hand in all these different projects. Yeah, I guess uh, it originally started because I worked in music festivals and I would usually be on the other end of the table where you would be like uh, requesting assets or what you need for the festival. And I'm on the other end collecting it from two or 300 artists at a time. So mm. I'm kind of like multitasking and realize like all this time I'm spending, maybe I should just do it for one or two people and uh, have more time and it actually worked out that way. Um, I still do festival stuff, but it is a uh, hard to juggle it, but I kind of uh, found my way of packaging uh, my talents together with tour managing and VJing, uh, like working with Rez originally. Um, she didn't have a TM or a VJ when I met her. She actually was like in a, in a rut and didn't have like a way to find her credentials and everything. And I just kind of helped her out and realized, uh, People thought I was her tour manager, even though I wasn't. <laughs> so I like kind of wonder. I'm like, hey, uh, this would uh, be <laughs> this would be cool. Like she's like, maybe I kind of need one. I'm like, nice to meet you. I'm Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it kind of worked out that way originally. But um, I, as while I was working with her, she didn't really have visuals yet, and uh, I kind of mm. was like, hey, I've been going to all your shows now. Like I kind of know your music. Like let me give a stab at it because. Back in college, I was VJing for um, kind of like a, a project with school and I learned myself and I, I hadn't touched it in a while, but I picked it up and relearned it a little with the new update on Resolume. And uh, I decided, I was like, yo, this is perfect. Like as a tour manager for like a new coming artist, it's kind of hard to like pay for a VJ and a TM to come on the road with you. And I was like, I could do both. And usually once the artist is on stage, you don't really, as a tour manager, just kind of got to be a stage manager in a way. And I was like, I'd be way more valuable in the front of house, like making sure all the visuals and like the sound and lighting is on cue. So um, I, I learned quickly that that was a, a huge up in the industry. No one else was really packaging themselves as a VJ and a TM. And I preferred mm -hmm. to work with a lot of upcoming artists such as Rez and Drezzo. So I just kind of started throwing it out there that I did both. And I, that's how I kind of got in the ears of uh, Destructo when he was uh, about to announce his new tour. So um, it worked out really well for me and uh, kind of... Uh, I started to notice that other people picked up on that trend and started packaging themselves as like a photographer and a uh, tour manager and started putting stuff together. So I don't know. I, I was really much on the forefront of kind of adding a lot of services together for on the road. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So for those people who don't really know what, how would you define a tour manager? Like what do you do as a tour manager and what do you do as a VJ? Because most people will know, but there's going to be a few who are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Um, 
tour manager, I guess, has a lot of different roles, but in the past, specifically as my my role as a TM, uh, usually involves the artist going on a a full tour with like support artists that has multiple dates throughout the, the country or even international sometimes. And your job is basically, um, basically advancing with all the different venues, all the flights, the hotel accommodations, all the production that needs to be brought to the venue. If it doesn't have it already supplied, um, run through the set times, making sure all the hospitality writers and all the uh, technical writers are sorted before you arrive on site. Just basically all the day of show stuff you kind of do in advance. And then while you're on tour with them, just make sure you don't miss your flight <laughs> and then get, get to the show on time. And I go to the venue early, um, make sure everything's in line with all the production and kind of basically run the show as um, being there from the beginning to the end and then making sure they get back to the hotel and catch the next flight the next day. Or if it's a bus tour, get on the bus. But um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much you're the man that runs the tour while it's on the road. So following through with every single logistical um, cause that you could do is basically you have to think about. Yeah, that sounds quite stressful. Um, so you didn't start out doing all this. I mean, I want to hear about your background. How did you get into the music industry as a whole? Like what kind of got you in there in the first place? Yeah. Um, well, I've always been in schooling that has been art influenced. I went through um, middle school and high school, the arts, which I had to audition to get in. And uh, if you didn't get like a passing score on your audition, you weren't even considered to get into the school. So pretty much in sixth grade, I had to already present myself as a as an artist in a, in a way and to get qualified to come to the school. And it was all public school. So it wasn't anything crazy, but they did have, um, you know, a criteria. So I was learning that way through music. I did uh, music theory for about 13 years uh, through vocal. Um, mm -hmm. I did theater, I did film. And then I went to college and I was like, all right, I learned all these skills in art. Like now what, like, how do I make money doing these things? And I saw all my friends, yeah. like, you know, are amazing um, performers and all, all amazing at their craft, but none of them really had a direction or, or a way to manage themselves. So I'm like, well, I have all these connections with these, these talented people. Like, let's, let's find a way to make money. So I decided not to get my degree in what all my friends were doing in some sort of art form or music. And mm. I went to the management side because I was like, if I'm going to spend time at college, like I might as well utilize something that I would actually have to study for. I could pretty much music I yeah. felt was something that was innate and within me. And I would be passionate whether I was in school or not about learning it. But business, like finance and stuff, uh, I don't know if you catch me reading a book about that on a Saturday. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's 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 do this. So I switched into management and that really, really, uh, it got me into that focus of what am I going to do in this event space to learn more of these management styles? So I went to uh, a college, actually, I found out that in Florida, one of the best colleges in the in the, the world actually for hospitality management was in my backyard in Orlando, Florida. And I had oh, no wow. idea and I decided to apply and made it into their um, event management degree at the time. It was the only um, degree in America that offered an event management uh, bachelor degree. So um, I started there and they were very hands-on. Like they had this internship program. They wanted every student to, 
to basically take uh, three semesters of, and they wanted you to make money in the field you were planning to do. So that kind of like sparked my interest because I was like, hey, I do want to do music, and it wasn't necessarily music driven from this program, but they allowed me to kind of create my own focus. So that. I started my own business because there wasn't really much companies that were doing uh, music production or anything in Orlando. So I started my own company that was a silent disco company and I partnered with a friend who was doing visuals. So that's kind of how I got into VJing is we decided to collab together because all these college kids were throwing after parties, getting busted by the cops for loud music. And I'm over here going to festivals and seeing how, Silent discos are an easy solution. <laughs> so, so I kind of got into events by starting it on my own and wanted to learn more. And that's how I got into volunteering with Insomniac through their, uh, their Night Owl program uh, way back in when it was they, before they started paying people. Um, so that was like right. my way of getting into the event space was just doing local stuff. And that's when they started that EDC Orlando. Um, and I was a part of that first team and that kind of got my, my roots into the more of the festival side. And I basically focused all my projects in school on music, uh, event relations and, uh, even did a study abroad program in, uh, in Europe, uh, for, we went to Paris, Barcelona and London for about like, two and a half weeks each. And uh, my emphasis was international events, fairs and festivals. And I was actually able to construct my own uh, events I wanted to attend and do a whole um, analysis on each of the events and then kind of wrote a thesis at the end, kind of summarizing the, the comparisons from American festivals and European festivals. And that really just like for me overall, uh, it, it solidified that this is what I wanted to do. And um, it opened a lot of opportunities based on my volunteering um, with Insomniac and kind of doing promotions too on the side. Like anything I can get my hands on, I, I pretty much dabbled in. And uh, it led me to when I was about to graduate. And I don't know, I, I just kept working festivals and meeting people within the industry. And they started recognizing your face. Like you're not just this person who you know, is coming to attend the festival for free. Like this person's actually dedicating their time to learn more of the crafts. And that's what I would do in a lot of these volunteer programs. I would talk with the director and be like, Hey, this is kind of what I'm want to focus on. Is there anything you can put me in that will help me reach this goal? And they weren't used to like people coming up to them and like actually having a driven career path. So they're like, yeah, anything you want, like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fit you in where we can. And that really just solidified with those managers that I was, I was for real about it. And um, those connections led to the next where they would actually hit me up for paid gigs. And I don't know, history, history's from there. <laughs> I think that's a great point though uh, and a great piece of advice for networking is if you're driven and like you know what you want, people just tend to, I don't know, like I take people more seriously when they come up to me and they're talking to me and they're telling me about like, you know, what they're passionate and you can see it compared to someone who's kind of like, oh yeah, like I might do this or I might do this. It's like, cool. Well, I can't help you if you don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember the really first, I guess, uh, big gig I got was I was a uh, assistant stage managing for this festival in New Orleans called uh, Buku Music and Art Arts Project. 
And uh, right. I was, it was the smallest stage. It was like the back alley stage and the stage manager, she was very nice. And uh, immediately as soon as I was introduced to her within five minutes of like working, she's like already asking me the hard questions. Like, what do you want to do with your life? And, <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, and I explained to her what I had just done to like help out. Um, she, she asked me to do like light, like set up lights for the artists so they could see that they wouldn't get like trip or whatever backstage. And I explained to her the whole reasoning where I placed all of it. And like, and she was like really intrigued about the way I was thinking. And that sparked her to ask that question. And, um, I think it was just mainly her trying to figure out if, you know, I could be a valuable asset to her because, you know, she gets gigs all the time. And I don't know, something from that question, I told her, you know, what I was doing in college and she really like, she fell, she fell that I was a good fit and basically hired me from a bunch more gigs after that. And, um, I don't know, that really just kind of sparked it. It was just like me taking initiative right away and going in for it. And then I explained to her, um, how I could help out further throughout the event. So I don't know. She, it was, uh, it was great to get that volunteering opportunity uh, would not have happened unless I, I would have made that initiative to ask if I could be placed there. Um, yeah. I think taking initiative is important. Is there any other pieces of advice that you would give to people regarding networking? Because it is something that uh, producers especially struggle with. You know, they're making music, they're good at it, but they kind of realize the truth that if you don't, like this industry is still about who you know to a large extent and you need to be getting out there and talking to people yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, of course. Like, I think the biggest thing I've heard from people that when I've tell, told them like, yeah, to spark a conversation and see where it goes, they're kind of afraid to even start that conversation. <laughs> and I always tell people like, even for me, a lot of times, and it's not that I, I, it's not that I like forget or anything. It's just, it's hard for people to remember who you are that first time they talk to you. So don't, yeah. don't be afraid of what you're going to say that they're going to remember forever. Cause chances are it's going to take you two or three more times meeting that person before they really are going to remember who you are. So I'm just like, yo, just go up and talk to people and like, don't even talk about music, talk about things that they probably are also doing that are like daily mm -hmm. things that you do in your life that they are probably also doing and not even think anything related to music just to like get that conversation started because no one really if you're going to network with them at a, a music event it's all everyone's going to talk about music but to talk yeah, about something yeah. else it's like humanistic and it's like yo i'm a real person too i like video games like i like going and playing in the beach like you know those kind mm -hmm. of things like people will actually be drawn more into the conversation because it's something new that they're not getting asked all the time so i even say that about like meeting your favorite artist like don't like you know try to be like a human being first and then Totally. And you can talk about like more stuff you really want to later. And that's the same with networking. Once you establish that like human relation with them, and that's what's so different about networking in person than online is you're able to kind of start with a little bit of small talk and then get into the nitty gritty later. And I, I don't know, advice is just don't, don't think too much about it. Just like talk about what you, you did that day, even like, you know, just something yeah. to kind of get the conversation starting and then they'll usually feed you something to jump off of. And that's the best way to connect. Yeah. I think that's so true. And also uh, just picking up on words that people say like off air, for instance, like before we started the interview, you, we were chatting and you said certified scuba diving. It's like, <laughs> that's interesting. Like, let's talk about that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 
yeah, you don't realize how that could just lead to a whole another tangent. And then next thing you know, you have like a personal connection with that person that they actually want to talk to you more. And that's when you can, exactly. you know, talk about more of your industry and what you're looking to, because maybe they'll probably end up asking you, so what are you doing here? Like, what's your yeah. plan? Like, let them ask that question. And that's kind of how you lead up to it, I, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, going back to something you talked about, you you did some work on the difference between US festivals and European festivals. What were some of those differences in the comparison you made? Of, of course, yeah. And this was probably like five or seven years ago when I actually did do this. Right. But um, I realized like for American festivals, we were really behind on just like ticketing and RFID. And like there was no no real art. Yeah. It was all tickets, like hard scan tickets here in America. But I went over there, they had, everything was w almost wireless. Like everything was RFID, yeah. scan everything, which of course America now kind of stepped up their game. They do have, but even from tokenized, um, like uh, for exchange of money, like that was such a different concept that really I think IDNT is like probably one of the first companies I saw using it for like Tomorrowland. Um, no one, no one else here in America had even thought about doing a cashless system or having one central bank where every vendor would have to turn in like their token counts at the end and it wasn't actual physical money. And for the company, I'm thinking like, oh, like this, this uh, company that's throwing the festival, now they can really keep down on the exact numbers for each of these different departments and who's selling what and where they're buying it. Like, it's just the whole, mm -hmm. I guess, operations behind it seem more organized and um, a lot more advanced technologically compared to America. And I noticed that through most of the things that they were uh, implementing in these festivals, like even their, um, their awareness of like trash and recycling has just been way more on point than America. Um, just going, you know, green, like that was a huge thing I noticed. And uh, the use of like public transportation, like they would always have like so many different ways of you getting to the festival. And I don't know, it, there was a lot of different factors, but I definitely thought that technology was the biggest uh, difference that we just kind of missed that gap and now we're slowly catching up. So That's really interesting. Why, why do you think that is? Because I do think it has to do with more investment perhaps on a government level into these things because they rely on it as smaller European countries or where the US maybe doesn't. Honestly, I just don't think that they, well, we're not the ones usually creating this kind of technology over here. It's usually from something international. So for us to really implement it on a festival is like we're, we're troubleshooting for this company. And a lot of people don't want to take that risk that, oh, like I've seen it happen at actually at EDC Orlando the first year. I remember why the Wi-Fi went down for like an hour and everything was cashless. So no one could spend oh, money man. and for a festival where everything's cashless and you can't buy anything, that's just, you're losing money every second it's down. Yeah, so I, I think people are just afraid that the technology would have been too new or it hadn't been done yet. And mm. I watched companies try to implement it and it just never was up to par. Um, or their expectation, I would say. And I think they kind of fretted on using it again because of things like that. But I mean, it, there's so much more benefit to using cashless and just more of the data side of on the back end for festivals. Like, I don't think there's any way for festivals to really look at how 
they can make a difference the next year if there's no data to really um, to prove what they're doing is going to make a huge change. Yeah. So I think with RFID, like that was the biggest um, advancement that they've done and going cashless is even more, but it's still like they don't really use it here uh, yet. And I honestly think it, that's, mm. that's the ultimate decision is if it's going to work or not. <laughs> what do you see over the next say decade as some of the challenges in event management? Well, even with this technology that's coming out, I think it's just really finding a way that it, it can connect with the fans because ultimately like you have to make it seem cool to the fan and they make them want to use it. So if the fans aren't into, you know, using a cashless system or like even if they start doing geolocation where you can check into like stages so you know who's like who's all attending to see these, you know, artists play that kind of stuff. You just got to make it cool for them to want to use it. And I think that right now is they're kind of struggling to find a way that the fans would want to adopt this kind of new technology and use it on their daily life. Cause if they don't use it, then it's kind of pointless to introduce it and you just wasted all this money, um, you know, trying to back your, your idea. And it's that, that's, I really do feel is the next step. It's whether, is it going to be VR? Is it going to be AR? Like what is that new hardware that they're going to introduce to kind of, connect not only the event but the fan to the event and keep them a loyal customer not only at the event but year round annually so because once people go to these events like you know to engage them throughout the year what there's not really a method to do that and you're basically starting over every year with a whole new fan base if you can't keep in contact with your with your fans who attended these events so Mm -hmm. kind of finding a platform or a tool to utilize this is really I feel the next step and um, Europe and, and anywhere internationally as I know, I know like Tomorrowland has that, that one feature on their wristband where you can like send a friend request to like, you know, your friend on Facebook by like putting it next to the other wristband. Like that's so next level, like that kind of stuff, like is the hardware that I would think that the fan would adopt, like something to make it cool, but also make it feel like they're not really, working towards it like they're doing something for themselves or for the artist or you know to kind of help you in in the long run so um i don't know like i really do believe that that's in the minds of a lot of these people but it's just i don't know if there's a viable company out there that's actually doing it yet right right some people talk about the well they would say that festivals electronic music festivals in particular are kind of on the decline for various reasons you being in the industry, do you think there's an element of truth to that or is it as stronger as ever? Um, definitely not a decline. If anything, it's being oversaturated. Um, I would, I would say decline in maybe larger mainstream ones because there aren't too many who can hold a, a lineup bill as big as like Insomniac or like AG or Lifestyle or any of these American companies that are out here. Um, to compete with like someone who's been around for 20 something years is really tough to do, but you start to see all these smaller independent companies trying to do something with what they believe is like the next wave. And I've honestly enjoyed a lot of these smaller festivals in America that people don't really get that exposure international. It's more of a, a nationwide thing. And 
those are doing extremely well. Like they don't have to spend the money on these like Tiestos and marshmallows uh, for their bill. They can book like these local producers who started getting traction just, you know, nationwide and book them and actually grow with them. And I see that happening a lot more um, as people want to be on that initial come up of this artist like they want to be like yeah i listened to them first when he played for like 100 200 people at so and so festival so these little festivals i feel like are becoming the platform for a lot of up-and-coming artists and and even those companies the promotional companies or whoever is throwing the festival they're starting to book them more and now you're getting more exposure for these younger artists to get noticed by these insomniac um type deal uh bigger festivals. So I don't know if it's necessarily declining because if anything, it's popping up more and more and and electronic is getting involved included in like hip hop festivals now and, and like jam band festivals. Like I feel like it's kind of just seeding its way across the board and not just electronic festivals. It's kind of just, you know, rooting out to all these different styles. And plus all these festivals have um, sometimes kind of focus on a certain genre. So a lot of upcoming underground genres are getting recognized as well that are festivals designated specifically for those artists. So um, at least here in America, I see new festivals announced almost every, every month. <laughs> like, I don't think it's going anywhere. But the, how long they're going to be around, I mean, it's tough. Like They say usually it takes about three to four years for a festival to even break even. So if you can't, if you can't even sustain a festival after like the second or third year, it's probably going to die out if like, who knows who's backing it or what kind of funds are coming in. But I mean, I've, I've watched it happen to even big festivals who have the money, you know, they're still in the deficit and they're trying to make it work. But, you know, realistically, who knows how many of them, I think you might, the decline might just be a perception of people falling out from the existing festivals that are there. But that there'll always be new ones coming out to try to take their place. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I think it's a good explanation. So like working with festivals and, and shows and artists, what are the things you love most about your, I don't know if you can call it a job, but job, let's say, <laughs> and what are some of the things that you find challenging or a bit more difficult or you have to just deal with? Yeah, um, honestly, just recently I've started to see um, a connection between all the different positions I've had because I've worked everything from behind the scenes at festivals from I used to do uh, like the first aid response team for like Insomniac and I've actually like done CPR and saved someone's life who was overdosing like and then I've gone from like ADA compliance and here with like people with disabilities and helping them you know have the same kind of basically uh, accommodations as any normal patron would have. And then I've also been from the artist relations side, working with the artist directly. But now that I've done all those things, going to a festival, I recognize every, all my coworkers. And it's like, we're all, we're all here doing the same thing. We might have different job titles, but no one, I've realized no one really sticks in one place. Everyone kind of jumps around and does a little bit of everything. So now that I'm more on the artist side, I go to these festivals and like, now if I need to ask for something like, you know, for the artist, I usually know someone who's working and I it's like a personal connection. And I'm like, Hey, you know, on a, on a uh, coworker level, I'm able to request things. And it's not like, I, I don't have to be like, 
I don't know, a lot of people I think are more stern and like kind of egocentric about their position. And I felt like, uh, I don't know, I've, I've started from the bottom part of the industry and worked my way up. And now, I don't know, it's more of a respect. Like, it's like, hey, I'm here and I've been in your position. I know the job. So I, I will only request things I know that they can do. And, um, and if they're, and I'm not like demanding either. I'm like, oh, you know, if you're busy right now, I'll come back. Like it's, you know, it's just more of a respect aspect of it. And I've started to notice that um, working these festivals, it's, it's, uh, it's really a community. Everyone's here. Everyone works the same events. You're always going to see it. So being disrespectful or rude to anyone is not beneficial at all. And I started to realize like people before there wasn't a career path, like really for any of these job titles, it's kind of, you just had to know somebody or it was like the artist's best friend who's like the tour manager. But now there's actually colleges who offer a whole curriculum to learn how to become one of these, uh, one of these positions. And I feel like it's becoming more professional behind the scenes. You can't just act out of character, get, get uh, messed up with like, you know, the artists and your friends, like you have a career um, to uphold and a perception. And it's definitely becoming more, um, at least I've seen more of a professional atmosphere behind the scenes, whether or not the, the patrons see that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it's interesting to watch that develop and being able to now be in a position to help other people get um, to find that path as well. Let's say there's someone listening to this who has just heard you talk for half an hour and they're thinking, this sounds amazing. Like I love music, but more than that, I love working with artists and I would love to be involved in the event side of thing, whatever. What advice would you give to that person who wants to pursue this as a career? Yeah, a lot of the times, originally, like I, I kind of just like made friends with the promoters because I was promoting for a lot of these events. And that's kind of just the first way anyone can really get involved is if you're going to help, you know, promote a show, then that means you usually care about it. At least for me, I only promoted shows that I really wanted to go to or that I thought the artist was worth, you know, checking out or it was someone I'd never seen before that I was like, oh, you know, I want to go do this. So that initial um, interest really kind of got me into the festival circuit. And then I just kind of crushed it, you know, sold tickets whenever I could, and then talked with those managers and asked them if there was any other way I can get involved. And, uh, and watching from a promoter side, then getting into like a f event that needed to bring an extra production, I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll come and help like move some speakers in. I'll come in, uh, you know, uh, bring in some extra lights. And then I just kind of like shadowed different people. I even asked if I could come in and like watch someone who's like working at the club or whatever, like at the door, like see how their job is. Like it really was just kind of going out and watching someone else do the job and think and w seeing if I could do it too. And once I saw other people um, and them and their element, I realized, you know, I could easily do this um, as well. And I'd started at, like looking pursuing to find jobs that I could do that, that position I saw someone else do. And it was kind of just persistence and following through with that. Um, but yeah, I, like I started as promoter Then I, I actually, I started uh, following artists as well and like helping them get exposure too. like, that was a good way to kind of start. If you like back a local promoter and then, or a local artist and kind of help them get exposure, um, 
I don't know, I started networking with other people in other markets. And then I was like, hey, I have a friend who lives in Florida. I know you do stuff in Chicago. Would you maybe mind like booking our local guy and then switching a date with one of your local guys? And then next thing you know, I have a whole other team in Chicago that I'm like cool with because I help them you know, bring one of their guys that are local that's also trying to do the same thing as me. And I like that kind of like initiated a whole new idea in my mind. And that's uh, actually my uh, ethos for when I started working for this festival called Okeechobee Music and Arts Festival. Um, It's been around for three years now. It's a Florida festival, but they would start their first year. They booked like Hall and Oates and Mumford and Sons, Bass Nectar and like uh, Robert Plant and just like all these legendary people, uh, Skrillex and, you know, uh, big, big artists that were like, they were big hitters, but I was just a promoter at the time and realized like um, they were had such small infrastructure at the beginning, like they needed people to help them out. And I kind of got my way up the rungs through the promotional side into marketing. And actually they hired me to kind of do the back end logistics for all the, the um, different departments. I had to build out their uh, foundation through the back end portal card called Mercado. And of course, if anyone knows Mercado, it, <laughs> it's one of the most difficult things to uh, basically master. But I got into that and I started constructing a whole different department of uh, entertainment and performers like fire spinners and stuff. And I would wanted to help help basically wow. bring that culture and that um, artistic side to the festival. So um, I started booking like look on these like small after hour stages that weren't really anything, but the festival allowed the music to like go on after their main acts were done. So I like started booking like local people from all across the nation and got them all to come out to this festival at which basically they didn't get paid. They basically just were able to break even to come here. And I did it mainly as like a way to get all these artists from all around the U S to meet and become friends and then kind of create their own little ecosystem. So now whenever they're traveling, they have someone to hit up in Philly. They have someone to hit up in LA. They have someone to hit up in Denver, wherever they go, they're now going to know at least one local promoter or one local producer. And that was like my intention. And now next thing you know, like I come back to Florida this, this, uh, you know, recently and I see, those people I booked like three years ago are playing shows out here in Florida. And I'm just like, that's so awesome. Like that means it worked. And that was so rewarding. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. And I I respect all those people you know, they, they crushed it in their own market and now they're looking for that next step too. And that was kind of the whole idea was kind of, I don't know, finding those people who you can tell are devoted to the industry as you, because it was hard. Like I met people who I thought were, you know, a ride or die. And next thing you know, they're out, they're now working at Publix or something, you know, like they, they wouldn't take the, they didn't take it seriously. Like they needed a security, I would say. Cause I mean, there's been so many times I've been broke, but I didn't, I never gave up. <laughs> so just finding those people who have that same mentality and, and, and keeping them on your side really helped me get other jobs because while you're doing your own thing, if you know they're just as driven as you are, they're going to make their own connections and eventually your connections are going to cross and you're going to get put in word of mouth. Like your name's going to get brought up eventually. So I don't know, like that all started from me just promoting. Like you, you learn that skill of talking to people from the promotional side of things. And I don't know, it's a little harder now that people are doing it more digitally, but that, that face to face, going to shows, being in the crowd. Like 
I don't, I don't go to shows and hang out backstage. Like I go to shows, I'll chill backstage for a bit, say what's up. But then I go straight to the crowd and I hang out with my friends who aren't allowed backstage and, and talk and meet their friends. And then that's how I meet local promoter or producers who are also hanging out there. People who are throwing events that, you know, they're all in the crowd. If they already made themselves, they're going to be backstage, but you want to meet the people who are trying to go to the next level. They're going to be in the crowd. So I don't know. It's just the way you look at it. And I love that. I've got one more question. You have a partnership with with Dirty Bird. It's called Duke's Music. It's an app. Uh, I had a brief look at it, but what is it and why did you want to work on it? Well, first of all, I've always had this. Uh, it kind of goes along with the way I ended that last question. <laughs> but uh, I always go in the crowd and I always realize like the party is in the crowd. Like who wants to go backstage? But all the people want to go backstage to meet the artist. I was like, what? why not bring the artist in the crowd and have some sort of like interaction with the fans and kind of like get them to break that that third wall or fourth wall or whatever it, it is that's keeping them from meeting all their, their super fans or whatever. And I was like, there needs to be some way that the artist feels comfortable and wants to stay around longer and not just come to the festival, play and leave. Like I want to incentivize them to kind of, you know, stick around and check things out and be kind of a part of the whole festival and the community that is brought here to see your music. So that was like always has been in the back of my mind. And then I met, um, the CEO of Jukes, his name is Kathan Rahandale, um, here in Orlando, actually. And uh, he was telling me about this cool app idea that he had, and it was involving like experiential marketing and um, kind of getting artists to meet these fans that are number one fans, but also create an experience around it where they can hang out one-on-one and really get to know these fans and the fans to get to know the artists. And I'm like, this is really cool. This is something mm. I've always you know, dreamed of helping, but I've never had a physical way of accomplishing it outside, you know, my normal duties. So I kind of got involved with there and, and since then it's progressed rapidly. Um, but that was my initial spark into getting involved with, uh, Jukes music. And, uh, it, it Jukes music is an app, uh, that basically it's a fan engagement platform where the artists and the fans can find each other and, uh, basically create, um, a space where they can share, um, new music that other their other friends have never heard before and you get uh, points for it that we call karma. So you generate karma for the artist and then once you've accumulated enough karma for that artist, you can actually redeem it for these rewards that the artist will set up. So uh, an example would be like a hot air balloon ride with San Holo at Electric Forest. Like, you, you know, that for someone to do that with the artist would be more valuable than actually seeing the show. So once you realize like the value here, like we just had to create the platform to really keep them engaged and want to basically um, help the artists with their brand. And then for the artists on the back end, now they're learning more about their fans. They're able to see what their fans like um, music taste other than their own. They're able to see where they're located and maybe if they wanted to plan a tour that a majority of their fans are, you can now you know see that data of where all your top fans are located. And then the best part is you're able to um, talk to them directly. You can, you know, send them a message or like, you know, how are you, how do you know who your number one fan is for an artist? You can ask them and they probably don't even know the name of the person. Now you're able to engage with them and actually identify who that person is. And that was kind of like the motto 
and the mantra that we've kind of kept going and um, people such as Dirty Bird have backed us from the beginning. We've done many rewards with them and uh, they're, they're a big advocate in our vision uh, that has a lot more scope than what I've told you now that it's been, you know, four, four years since then. Um, where we'll be rolling out with like a V2 of our app pretty, pretty soon, hopefully. And you'll be able to see kind of like what we've we put together. That is awesome. Well, Jameson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great conversation. Any final words for the people listening? Yeah, just uh, if this is something you're really passionate about, don't be discouraged when uh, things kick you down. Um, always, you know, get back up, find the next thing that you can really um, inspire you. Like, like I said, I've hit so many dead end roads where I've in this, in this industry where I thought like, Oh, this is the, this is it. Like I don't have anywhere else to go, but the cool thing about it, there's so many avenues you can go that are still music related and still involved that you'll find new light in a new endeavor that you, that you pursue. And I don't know, I've found, I've reoccurred my love for music multiple times by doing multiple things for this industry. And I don't know, eventually you'll find one that just works really well for you. And it's going to, you're just going to ride that wave, but it's going to take a lot of trial and error at first. So, you know, be persistent. If music production isn't your forte, you know, there's other ways to be involved with an artist or within the music event space as well. So, you know, just keep going out there and you'll, you'll make it, man. If you, if you really, really want it, you'll make it. 